together. So get your Bibles ready and handy, and uh, we're going to be working from our scripture card, healing scriptures. There are a number of these that are available to you. They're on the card out on the uh, visitor's uh, table in the foyer, and you're welcome to take one and or several and use these. These uh, confessions and references, actually, and verses are on our website, freedomword.org. You can go there and you can download them. Uh, I would encourage you to use them every day. I, I use these every day. Uh, they're just a part of my life. And I would love for you to make these a part of your life. It's, it's the Word of God. And when you find yourself saying what God says, you're in good company. You really are in good company. And of course, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So as we have been teaching about healing now for a number of weeks on Wednesday nights, one of the things that I wanted to do was to just actually go down this list of scriptures one by one, read them, and give you some meditations from them, some information, some facts. Uh, these are not necessarily sermons, uh, or maybe not so much as a structured teaching on, on uh, you know, specific uh, uh, structure with it, like maybe you would expect in some kinds of teaching series, but just basically to go through these verses and uh, let you see some of the meditation ideas that the Lord has given to me, some revelation he's brought to me, and some ways of looking at these verses and things that are important to uh, take time with. Now, I don't have the last word on any of these, and I don't know all there is to know about them, but I'm learning, and I'm not going to stop learning. I keep digging and keep, keep growing. And of course, uh, we started last week with the very first one, Proverbs chapter 4, verses 20 through 22. My son, attend to my words. Incline thine ear unto my sayings, let them not depart from thine eyes, keep them, my words and sayings, in the midst of thine heart, for they, my words and sayings, are life unto those that find them, and health or medicine to all their flesh. We talked about that one. And then the three verses that we have inserted here that deal with healing in the redemption, healing that was bought and paid for at the cross. The first is Isaiah 53, 4 and 5. Surely he has borne our sicknesses and griefs and carried our pains and sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes or his bruises or his blood, we are healed. So healing is a blood-bought blessing. And then Matthew eight sixteen and 17, And when the evening was come, they brought unto him many that were possessed with devils. And he cast out the spirits with his word and healed all that were sick, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, Himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. And so we see the Holy Spirit's own inspired commentary on what he had inspired Isaiah to write seven centuries earlier and notice the use of the word infirmities and sicknesses because that's a part and parcel of our redemption is to be set free from sicknesses and diseases and pains. And then the third one was 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 24. And notice that Isaiah was looking prophetically ahead seven centuries and 
as a prophet, he saw it as if it were just happening right then. But in time, he was seven centuries before Christ. And then, of course, Matthew was observing Jesus in his ministry in real time and then would write about it later. And then Peter would later on look back and make these remarks by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, who his own self, speaking of Jesus, of course, bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness by whose stripes ye were healed. So by the time Peter wrote these words, it was a settled fact. There was no more question about it. And of course, the early church, in the early days of the church, until certain things got hijacked and derailed and in some cases corrupted doctrinally, and so many schisms and divisions began to occur over the centuries. But in the early days of the church, there was no question in their mind that God was a healer. There was no question that it was the will of God to heal those that it was His will to save. And that's why when you read the New Testament, particularly you look at the book of Acts and you see the history of approximately the first 30 years of the church, you find that they never did leave off the healing message. Two things they didn't leave out, and that is the baptism in the Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues and divine healing. Everywhere they preached salvation, the new birth, these things were also presented because they were never intended to be taken out. They were never intended to be stopped. They were never given as temporary blessings. They are part and parcel of the gospel to this very day. If you are born again, then God sees you as healed. Your body may not have a, uh, found that out yet. It might not have aligned itself yet. Maybe your mind is not completely and properly renewed to these truths. But from the vantage point of God, from his viewpoint, it is a done deal. And so we want to agree with God. Thank God for doctors. Thank God for nurses. Thank God for medicines and treatments and all of the rest. But I want to tell you that there is nobody that can do for you like God can do for you. Amen. He is a healer. Thank God. So we want to move tonight to the next one on the list. If you have that list or if you've uh, downloaded these maybe to your phone or something, you know the next one to come is from Galatians chapter 3 and verse number 13. And all the time, usually always when I quote this, I will quote verse 13 and 14. So I will do that tonight. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that you might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Hallelujah. Redemption is mentioned in this verse, and notice it says, Christ has redeemed us. The first thing I want to establish from this verse is that it's already done. We're not waiting on it. It's not something yet to come. It's already done. Christ has redeemed us. What does it mean to redeem? Well, to redeem means to buy back. And particularly as it's used in a scripture like this, the, uh, the meaning has to do with buying someone from slavery with the intent to set them free. 
And of course, when this was written 2,000 years ago, uh, the culture into which it was written, there were slaves as well as freed men. And they understood the concept. And they understood the concept of redemption to a degree. But here it says that Christ, which is the New Testament equivalent of the Old Testament word Messiah. So everywhere in the New Testament you see Christ, you can think of the term Messiah. And everywhere you see Messiah in the Old Testament, you can think of the word Christ. Now Christ is one of those words that we say is transliterated from the Greek into English. In other words, we took a Greek word and we anglicized it. We, we made it an English word. The Greek word would have been something of this effect. Of course, I'm, I'm, um, I'm not a Greek speaker, but it would have been something of the nature of Christos. And so we just made it an English word, Christ. And what that means is the anointed one. The anointed one. And of course, you can't talk about the anointed one without talking about their anointing. Have you ever smelled someone who had wonderful cologne or sweet perfume on? And how, you know, if, if you liked it, of course, it smelled good to you. And so if you, if you talked about that person, you could say in biblical terms, they've been anointed with whatever perfume it is. Well, of course, the whole thing means, of course, if they've been anointed with this sweet-smelling, beautiful perfume, then they wouldn't smell that way unless there was some perfume. I don't know what the brand of it is, but I know that there is a particular kind of lotion that sometimes I smell out, you know, when you go out to the Walmart or the Kroger or whatever, and it is just the awfulest stuff I've ever smelled, almost, that somebody could put up on their body. And uh, it's just, you know, awful. I guess it's really cheap. You just, it's so bad you'd want to say, listen, honey, I could buy you some good smelling stuff, and you won't torment us any longer with that. Uh, <laughs> some of it's pretty bad. Amen. So uh, don't be guilty. You know, I, I know why these doctors have the signs in their little exam rooms. Don't wear cologne. Don't, you know, they don't want to smell that either. Praise the Lord. But I digress. But you get the point. Whatever you are anointed with, to anoint means to rub, to smear, or pour. So whatever you pour on you, whatever you smear on you, whatever you rub on you, that's what you are anointed with. And the word Christ means the anointed one. So what was Christ anointed with? Well, Acts 10.38 says how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power. Who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil. So the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one and his anointing has redeemed us. Now, let me give you a couple of things to think about in this regard. There's no need for redemption from something unless it can hold you or hinder you in some way. I don't need to be, I don't need to be redeemed tonight from an addiction to heroin. I don't take heroin. I've never taken heroin. I'm not addicted to heroin. 
So there's no need for me to go for treatment for an addiction. Well, when we talk about being redeemed from the curse of the law, there would be absolutely no need for redemption if the curse of the law wasn't holding us in some way. If we weren't being held as a captive to this curse of the law, then there would have been no need for Jesus to come and suffer all that he suffered in order to redeem us. There is no need for redemption from something that cannot hold you or hinder you in some way. So the curse of the law is something we were all bound by. And tonight, all those who have not been born again, translated out of the kingdom of darkness over into the kingdom of God's dear Son, all those who have not yet been made a new creature in Christ Jesus are at this moment bound by this curse. Even though Christ has paid the price to redeem us, because that's what redeeming means, to pay the price with the aim of setting the captive free. The anointed one was required in order to pay for our redemption. And I want to ask this question tonight, and I think it's a question the body of Christ needs to have asked, and it needs to be answered, and especially by preachers. If it took the anointing to produce our redemption, then wouldn't it make sense that it's going to require the anointing to bring that redemption into manifestation in our lives? How can we declare we are redeemed by the anointed one if we won't accept his anointing in our midst through the person and presence and power of the Holy Ghost moving. If we block out the Holy Ghost, if we resist the Spirit, if we are closed to the things of the Spirit, then we are closed and we are resisting and we're blocking out the anointing. And so I would submit to you that anywhere... And with any person who rejects the anointing in any way, they are in, to that degree that they reject it, they are rejecting their own redemption. And many, 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 many people suffer because they will not yield to the anointing. They would rather go to a dead church. They would rather, would rather have their tradition, their formalism. They would rather have their convenience or whatever the reason may be that they attend certain dead places, they would rather have that as to make the effort to get to where the power of God is flowing. And many people that will find themselves, even where there are manifestations of the power of God, will many times resist by not responding. They won't, they won't respond. They'll watch other people respond. And, and they'll fight that battle on the inside, and then they don't move. They just par they're paralyzed. They're frozen like a deer in the headlights, as we say. And that hesitancy and that indecisiveness many times will cost them their miracle. It'll cost them their life. They have what I could call, I guess, the squirrel syndrome. You ever been going down a road and a squirrel comes over and then it decides to go here, then it decides to go there? You know, if it, if it takes too long to decide, guess what? It's, it's getting squashed. I don't wreck for squirrels. Dogs, deers. I would for people. But don't, 
test me. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. That is a bad joke, and it is just a joke. Let me give you another fact about redemption moving right along. God will never, ever use what he has already redeemed you from by placing it upon Jesus. He will never use what he's already redeemed you from in order to teach you or discipline you now. That's a big, big issue in the church world. A lot of people believe their sickness, their disease, their suffering, their pain is somehow God teaching them. And others, depending on what kind of a religious background they have, there's a whole group, a school of, of thought, a, a school of thought, a group of people that have the idea that their suffering must be some type of penance that they must do. That surely they've messed up some way or another, they've sinned, uh, they've neglected something, and so therefore they're just going to have to suffer this because they, they missed it. Can I tell you that, that if we had to qualify in the sense of earning, if we had to earn our healing, none of us would ever be healed. If you had to measure up to the place of perfection before God would bless you with redemptive blessings, none of us would have any redemptive blessings. The only reason that we get what we get from God, and it's good and perfect gifts, as you know, the only reason we get it is because Jesus paid for it and we receive it. And I know that sounds too good to be true. It sounds hard to believe for a lot of people. They just can't believe that there's not something there. Surely I need to do something. Surely I need to some way or another earn something. I've got to stop this, fix that, do that. And you know, if you're convicted to change something, repent of something, fix something, do something, then by all means, be obedient. It's a doorway to blessing. But if you're doing it because you think somehow God's going to end up on the other end of that thing owing you your blessing, then you're mistaken. God owes us nothing. We owe him everything. But having said that, I can tell you that he gives good gifts freely. And only a foolish person would, would uh, reject what God offers. Praise the Lord. So God's not using disease, sickness, pain, or anything of that nature in order to teach us or discipline us. You say, well, how does God discipline us? Well, the primary way he disciplines us is through his word. It is the schoolmaster. It is the rod of correction. The rod of correction from God is not cancer. The rod of correction from God is not diabetes or tuberculosis or rheumatoid arthritis or anything of that nature. That's not the rod of God. The rod of God is this book. This is a sharp two-edged sword, and yes, it'll cut you. It won't physically kill you, but it will cut you spiritually, so to speak, to cut away things that shouldn't be there, to get us to a place where he wants us to be, conformed to the image of his dear son. Not, as I say, not to earn this thing, but to position us properly to receive from the Lord. And so we, we need to understand that if God is going to chastise us and teach us, he will begin to send the word, and many times that will involve sending people into your life with the word. Everybody probably knows the aggravation, or maybe I should use a different word. Probably everybody knows the um, anger 
that rises up when correction comes. Am I the only person in the room that doesn't like to be rebuked? I don't think so. And we all know what happened. We all know that feeling. And when God brings correction to our lives, many times he will bring it to us through, through a man or a woman of God that will tell us truth in such a way that in the beginning, it will, it will, the first reaction many times is, is anger and defensiveness. But if we will realize that it's God speaking to us, if we will realize that God's trying to correct us and help us, and we will humble ourselves and repent, many times that's the great key to receiving divine healing. That's a great key to a breakthrough in healing. I, I have no way of knowing, God only knows, how many people have been healed supernaturally and marvelously but they had to deal with some issues first. Maybe it was an issue of unforgiveness. Maybe it was an issue of rebellion, disobedience. I don't know. But they had to deal with that in order to position themselves to receive that free gift that God offers. Amen. Now, one other thing about redemption that I want to... Well, may not, maybe not just be one other thing, but this is the next one. And that is that Jesus in redemption paid my penalty... He paid my debt. Jesus paid the debt that I owed and the debt that you owed. Now, <clears throat> this is just a little rough example, but it helps me to understand it a little better. And I hope it will help you as well. If I have gotten a bill from somewhere uh, in the last while and I received it, you know, and then I, I wrote out a check, let's say, let's do it the old-fashioned way. I wrote out a check. And I put my remittance check into the envelope. Or no, I didn't do it that way. Let's say I did it a different way. Let's say I, I, I had this bill, and so I actually went to the place where the money was owed. And I took them a check, and I took my copy of the bill. And they looked at it, they took my check, and they gave me a receipt that said paid in full. And then... 30 days later, in the mail, I got this notice that I owed that bill. Now, I'm pretty sure what you are going to do. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to take uh, my receipt, and if necessary, I'll, get, I'll make a copy of the check that they cashed, and I'm going to take it back there to that same place and I'm going to show them that I do not owe this because I've already paid it and you acknowledge that I paid it. Isn't that true? Now, when it comes to sickness and disease or anything of the curse of the law, you've got to know that your bill has already been paid. And there is a divine receipt that's already been granted. And therefore, when the devil comes knocking on your door, when he comes knocking on your body, and he tries to put something on you that Jesus has already bought and paid for, you need to hold up this book, or you need to declare with your mouth out loud what the book says, and you need to show him the receipt. And you need to tell him, I refuse to accept this. I do not owe this debt. You have no legal right to hold this against me. There is no lien against my body because Christ has redeemed me from the curse of the law. Hallelujah. 
And so this sickness, this disease, this pain, this infirmity, it does not belong to me. It's not rightfully mine. So I, in Jesus' name, resist this thing. I will not have it. I refuse it. And then you say to your body, you hear what I say and you do what I say. Your body's just your house. If you want a white house, what do you do? You buy white paint. If you want a red house, what do you do? You buy red paint. Well, if you want a well body, what do you do? You paint it well with the words of your mouth. You paint that picture inside and out of the power of God working in you. Christ has redeemed us. From the curse of the law. I think we ought to lift up our hands and just praise the Lord. That we're redeemed. Hallelujah. We're not waiting on it. It's already ours. It's done. It's affected. Hallelujah. Bought and paid for. <coughs> and I've got a receipt. Galatians 3, 13 and 14 is my receipt. Christ has redeemed me from the curse of the law. Now we got a few minutes left. I want you to go back in the Old Testament with me to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 28, because in this particular passage is a listing of the curses of the law. So if you, you, know, you want to know or if someone ever asks you what Galatians 3, 13, and 14 is about, redeemed from the curse of the law, well, you know, it's good to take them to, to the Scripture and let them just read or read to them what the Word says about it. Because a lot of people have a lot of ideas, you know. And, um, and one of the, the pat answers that we would give about redemption is, well, I'm redeemed from sin. And that's true, but that's not all the truth. Because you're redeemed from more than sin. As a matter of fact, that's not really a phrase you find so much in the Scripture. You find that phrase, redeemed from the curse of the law, however. Why did he want us to know about that? Because redemption from the curse of the law includes sin and all its effects. So sin is uh, redeemed from sin. That, that, that has to do with being redeemed or born again, changed from spiritual death to spiritual life. Spiritual death is separation from God, alienation, isolation from God. Um, and that's only fixed by the new birth, being born again, made a new creature in Christ. But when we read Deuteronomy, we see, and I'm not going to read the whole chapter. There are 60-some verses, so I'm not going to read it all. But we are going to look at one or two verses that are very important uh, to us tonight. But what I want you to know is, as you read this, you find that the curse of the law, in addition to spiritual death, it included sickness and disease. That's a part of the curse. It's not a blessing. It also included poverty and lack, it included family disasters. Everything from somebody taking your spouse away from you to your children going into captivity. In other words, family disasters are part of the curse. It also included and includes all areas of mental illness, or as the old King James would call it, madness. Mental illness whether it's depression, schizophrenia, phrenia, however you say it, it's not a friend of mine. Uh, but anyway, uh, you know, all of those things, every kind of mental illness, 
All of that's included in the curse of the law. As a matter of fact, there's so many sicknesses that are listed that we finally get over uh, to uh, verse, verse number uh, 61 in the chapter. And there's 68 verses total. But we get to 61, and I want you to listen to these words. Also, every sickness and every plague which is not written in the book of this law. Now, there are a bunch of them already written in this chapter. It says, then the Lord will bring upon thee. That's a permissive verb. He will allow it to be brought upon. You know, the Lord will let you go to hell if you want to. He'll let you commit adultery if you want to. He'll let you tell a lie if you want to. He'll let you go to and rob filling station if you want to. But you can't, that's not the same as him wanting you to. That's not the same as him willing you to do that. He's not predestined you to do those things. That would be an act of, a, of our human will that would be totally the opposite of the will of God. And God stands by and sadly has to watch many people suffer until they're destroyed. But I, I want the main thing that I really want you to see is that, that fact that he says every sickness and every plague which is not written in the book of the law. In other words, if there's any doubt about your sickness, whatever the diagnosis is, whatever it's called, whatever your you know, if you have something, whatever the medical terminology is, this verse says it's covered. It's covered. And so when I quote this verse, and when you quote this verse, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree. We understand that that means we have been redeemed from every sickness and every plague that is imaginable to man. And please know this. That words like cancer, heart disease, diabetes, whatever word you think of, of that's a word of sickness and disease. None of that bothers God. In the sense that he's taken aback. Wondering if he can handle it. There's nothing too hard for God. Yeah. Nothing too big for God. And I was just reading the last few days about uh, the man who had been uh, crippled for 38 years. Or no, the uh, woman who had been, you know, infirm for 38 years. Or 18 years. And then another person was sick for 38. In other words, there are numbers, <laughs> that's what I want to get to, that are given to us in Scripture. Why are they there? To help us understand that it doesn't matter how long you've been sick. It doesn't matter how long you've had this. And, and all those incurable cases that are, that are spoken of in the Scriptures, that people got miracles. All that's in there to help us understand that there's nothing we would ever face that's too hard for God. Nothing. Nothing. And one of the keys is you have to conquer the spirit of fear and any other uh, spiritual force of hell. You've got to be 
bold against, and you've got to take your place of authority against those things. And you cannot respond out of fear. You've got to respond in faith, which means you can't be afraid of disease. Certain names, certain words cannot produce fear in you. You've got to stay so full of the Word of God that your faith overcomes any of that. Any of that. And most people, as a matter of fact, I don't know of anybody that this wouldn't apply to, but the way we get to that place of freedom is by continuing in the Word of God. That's why we publish these kinds of things. Because we know, I know, that this is one of the keys for you living long, strong, and well, is putting God's Word in your mouth every single day. Every single day. Most Pentecostal, word of faith, charismatic believers who are faithfully attending a good, strong, Bible-believing, spirit-filled church, most of those people will get and maintain their healing through a constant, careful attention to the word of God. You know, God does miracles? Yes, But there are people who are waiting on God to do it all. They never opened their Bibles. They couldn't quote one healing scripture, much less 15 or 20. It's just not a part of them. And so when they go to the guy and he's got the white coat and the authoritative voice and he's got all those years of training and education and he says you've got six months to live, if you've not been putting the word of God on the inside of you, there's a really good chance that in about six months you're going to die unless you turn that around. You can turn it around, but you can't turn it around watching Jeopardy and, and uh, Wheel of Fortune and, and uh, you know, soap operas or whatever or, you know, four hours of a football game and, and 15 minutes in the Word. You've got to turn all that around. You see, to, get a, to have a turnaround, you're going to have to turn some things around. Something's going to have to change. You might say, well, I don't know that I want to do all of that. Well, then uh, we'll just see. We'll just see. Amen. So, I think I'm done. I mean, I thought I would get to two or three verses. But I just got to one verse. But I'm glad I came. Aren't you glad your debt has been paid? Aren't you glad you've got a receipt? See, that, that's what this is. You know, these are just King James scriptures. And that, that's what the, this is my receipt. You could pick up this piece of paper and in the morning, if you don't have one, you get one tonight. And, uh, or you could pick up these scriptures on your phone or your computer or whatever. And what you could say is, Lord, I'm bringing my receipt. And also look down under your feet, tell the devil, here's my receipt. You can't touch me. That's right. That's right. We're in this world, but the wicked one touches me not. And here's my receipt for that. This is what I believe. And I know that there are people who say, well, you know, all that faith stuff and confession stuff. I knew somebody that they, they believed all that and they died. Well, there are two things I'll say to that. You don't really know what they believed. Nobody knows the inside of another person. Only God does. 
And secondly, if I die tomorrow, I don't want to die in unbelief. Why would, I want to, why would I want to die in fear and unbelief? I'll, if I, when I go, I want to go in faith. Be just fine with me to go as I'm quoting Scripture. We're all going to go sometime. Nobody's getting out of here alive. I mean, we, even if we go into rapture, the old body's going to fall away and, and we're, going to, we're going to get a new one, which is a good thing, a very good thing. And the older you get, the more you'll know about that. <laughs> Praise the Lord. But I can tell you, I can tell you that, um, that if you want to live long and you want to live strong and you want to live well, you've got to say it. Yeah. Yeah. And you've got to say it enough until you believe it. And you've got to say it and believe it enough until you expect it. And you've got to say it and believe it and expect it enough until you act on it and plan like it and live like it. You know, I just told Glenda today. Now, this is, I'm not, I don't want anybody to be offended at what I'm going to say because I'm not jumping on anybody. And I understand the concept. And, and if I would have had a different call and a different uh, job and livelihood, then I would probably have a different story. But I told her this, I'm so glad I'm not retired. <laughs> you know, uh, it's good yeah. to want to do Amen. something besides... Sit down and watch TV. Praise the Lord. Well, I've meddled enough. Father, we thank you for your precious word. And we know, Lord, that your word is our medicine. And we know, Father God, that it is totally efficacious, completely, 100%, no matter the sickness, the disease, the infirmity, or the illness, or the weakness. Your word is able to overcome it all. And Lord, I pray that you would open the eyes of our understanding tonight. Help us to see these things. Lord, we're all, we're all moving forward together. We're all growing. None of us are perfect. But Lord, we want to we go to the next level. We want to exercise faith in a powerful way. So Lord, we ask you to open our eyes to these truths. Help us to see from your perspective and to receive all that you have for us. And we ask this in the mighty and the glorious name of Jesus. And everybody said amen. Amen, amen, amen. Well, I would just say this. One of the keys that Glenn and I learned 40 years ago, or actually more than 40 years ago, and we didn't do it because somebody told us you had to do it this way. We just, we were so hungry and so needy it's amazing what hunger and need will do to you. It's a great motivator. But we were so hungry for the things of God and the Word of God and so needy of the Word and so needy of God's blessing in our life that we just began to listen to the Word over and over and over and over again. And to this day, this is still much a part of our lives that we are listening to the Word of God. I remember that we lived in a little house and um, two, two little bedrooms. And you know how it is in very small houses. You can hear from one room to the next. And our kids were little. And back in those days, I would play cassette tapes. Every night we would play tapes, usually of uh, Kenneth Hagin. 
And, um, and if you remember how the cassettes worked, they got to the end of it, and the guy on the uh, tape would say, Brother Hagen concludes this message on side two. Please turn the tape over. If you get hold of a real old one, you'll hear Bertie Harrison doing that. Brother Hagen concludes this message on side two. Please turn the tape over. Well, sometimes, you know, we, I would go to, both of us, we'd, we'd be asleep before the end of the tape. I remember one night that came across and, and I get, we didn't turn it over. And so I remember Daniel hollered from the other room, turn the tape over. <laughs> I, I didn't know he was listening that night. But that was a part of our life. I, I mean, we were so radical about it that I, we had a little old car, a little old cheap, stripped-down car, nothing fancy. And it didn't have a tape player in it. And so I would buy batteries, you know, CD batteries, you know, whatever size it took. And I'd put them in a tape player, and we'd set it on the front seat between us. And we'd play that cassette recorder as we were driving down the highway. I'm telling you, it works. It seemed ridiculous, I guess. It probably seemed foolish. It probably seemed, uh, what's the word, fanatical. But man, I'm so glad to put, that I put the word in me because there have been so many times I've had to have it. And whatever's in you is what comes out. So put it in there. Let it out, and it'll, it'll build faith, and God will move to confirm his word with signs following. Amen? Now, I'm not telling you that to brag on us. We're, we're not anywhere close to perfect, but I know that's one thing that we got hold of.